welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey Chuck, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? I'm all right, Danny. Thank you very much for having me on. No, no, not a problem. So I guess so we we know each other a little bit from like the the um, the Mind Chimp group and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So the idea of today's session, well, today's session, wow, it's like a coaching session. The idea of today's um, <laughs> podcast really is is getting to know a little bit more about you and stuff. So before we get into that, um, yeah. usually I ask my people who jump on the podcast to come up with a, a logline or a summary of who they are and what they're about. Do you do you know what yours is? Uh, no, um, and it's in truth, it's something I've, I, I keep revisiting over and again. Because it's just one of those things where, um, you know, as the as time goes on and as experience builds and you develop your career, there's there's lots of things that end up being important to you, and so it's I find it hard to answer like what's your thing, right? It's like mm, I don't really know. Uh, so you know, pe- most people will know me for learning development. I've been in and around the field for about 14 years now, and um, it's, I've had lots of roles in that time, right? And uh, spanned also across OD as well as L&D. So, what's my tagline? I'm a senior learning and development professional. I have a big interest in positive psychology, emotional intelligence, mental health. Um, those are topics which are all important to me, um, as well as diversity and inclusion as well. Okay. So, maybe that that can suffice for now. Yeah. No. No. That sounds that sounds good to me. So. Okay. When you were in school, so can you know the, t- the teacher would ask you kind of, what is it you you want to be when you kind of grow up? What yeah. what was what was the answer you'd give him? So I remember clearly because my kids asked me this question not long ago as well. Um, it changed quite a bit from wanting to be a lawyer to wanting to be an architect to wanting to be an astronaut uh, to a pilot. So quite a lot of different things. Okay, and so wow, an astronaut. What, what, what made you want to be an astronaut? What, what was the kind of the driver behind that? Do you think? I've always been fascinated by space. It's, it's just, it's a truly magnificent and wondrous thing that exists out there and that we're part of in a, in a weird, in a wonderful set of ways, and that there are people who go up there on a fairly regular basis to explore and figure it all out. That's quite exciting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So before we jump into kind of a little bit more about you, what, what I tend to ask my guests is to pick four numbers from one to a hundred. Um, okay. You can pick any you want. Um, 33, yep. 62, okay. seven and 89. 89. We'll come back to them a little bit later. So, okay. um, so I guess you know we know each other from a group and we've spoken. You know, we we tend to speak quite a bit as well. I think. Yeah. Um, but for the people who 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 don't know you, maybe give us a bit of a brief bio of kind of where you've come from. Are you from your professional like where, where you've come from and where and what's brought you to where you are right now? Maybe yeah, shed yeah. a bit of light on, on on you. Okay, happy to. Um, so. Back in 2003, I completed master's degree in occupational psychology. A module in that was on training and development, and I really enjoyed it. It was 
um, it was the one module where I thought that's where I can probably do more stuff with. After it had completed that, I went out and sought roles in training specifically. So I, I guess I've had a, a bit of a um, a different route into the profession in that I actively sought it out. There's not many people who choose to do that. For most people, they'll enter it via a HR route or through some kind of ops route where they've come into the profession where um, where I, I wanted to start it off as my career. So I've got a role with QVC, uh, the shopping channel, as a training officer in that team. That was a great set of experiences there, had a really good team, had a really good manager, really helped develop what I thought and understood about training and development as it was at the time. From there, left and uh, my twins were born, my twin boys, and so I took a few months off to help take care of them and help to do the childcare piece for uh, several months. Then went and joined a training outsourced company. Uh, they were called the Outsourced Training Company, a highly original name. Okay. And um, they they had as their main client Ford Motor Company. And so I did consultancy work and facilitation work for them. That was, that was full on. It was an 18 month period of pretty much three between three and five days a week of just non-stop training delivery and at that time we're talking the mid 2000s now um mid to late 2000s um it was um it you know at, at that time it was all about the face-to-face -face delivery there wasn't really an option for digital or exploring what digital could do because we didn't really have the tools to allow for that there was e-learning but even then that was still too still too niche at that time to do anything proper with so didn't really ever explore anything around that then from there got made redundant because ford motor company suffered greatly with the credit crunch in 2008 and our whole team were got, got laid off i was fortunate enough after a few um uh, not long to get a role with a digital marketing and tech agency now called digitas lbi and that was a really good set of experiences. Joined there as an L&D business partner, and probably my first cut into properly looking at L&D as just as a strategic role within the business and how to really help an organisation think about its L&D offering and what they can do with it. That was really cool. Uh, it was just me though in the sole role for a long while, and then eventually we merged with another company and. My, I didn't see my role fitting with what they needed to do anymore, so I left. Okay. And um, from there, did a very short bit with the NHS, um, with Southend NHS Trust. Um, and that was a really good experience, even though it was only short-lived. Had a really good team around me and, um, and really started to explore um, what we could do with virtual learning environments and uh, using tools like GoToMeeting um, as a primary tool um, to be able to help with that. that like I said, that was short-lived. From there, moved to a role with a housing association, which are based over in Camden. They're called One Housing. And I headed up the OD function there. And that was a great set of experiences. Really got involved in some really broad-reaching work around employee engagement, performance management, leadership management training, 
um, the LMS management, um, L&D delivery, and uh, proper budgetary control and management as well. And so I really got to cut my teeth in a, in a more senior position and really helping to understand how do, how do things uh, need to work in a business where, which is fairly sizable. There were about 1,500 people there, 1,300 actually. So there's quite a number of people to work with in lots of different departments. And then um, from there, uh, unfortunately, role got made redundant last year and then spent the summer spent the summer with my family, actually, with my kids when they had the time off. And over that period of time, got a role where I'm working now with a company, Read Business Information. And I'm here as talent development partner, which means I look after all things to do with learning, development, digital learning, management training, leadership training, um, and bespoke help for development of programs for uh, for the different business units that we have. Okay, so, all so that's a potted history. Yeah, all the, and what a history, I guess. What's you know just just going looking over kind of your your, your bio as, as such. Yeah, you know, you've gone into kind of different areas of of work. When I say areas, I mean arenas, kind of within you know NHS to where you are now <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, is there any common traits what you see maybe it's positive maybe it's, it's um constructive is there any traits what you've seen throughout each each like stepping stone which is kind of yeah you've seen so one of the things i've set out in my career to do quite purposefully is that anytime i move from one place to another i've always been very clear in myself that it was going to be a different industry in a different sector and that's primarily because i don't want to be stuck in one frame of thinking of the world and and there's and that's just my own choice in that i i appreciate having a diversity of experience and that allows me to draw on valuable experiences from very many different settings and how they can be thought of and applied to in, in the different organizations that i've been part of and so um so to your point you know the, the challenges that all organizations face are very similar. You know, they all have challenges around how do you engage people well with learning and development because it's never really made a clear offering. It's, you know, if there are L&D functions and there is good learning provision provided, then people know how to access them because there's, um, because, uh, well, some people will know how to access them, but it's not, it's, it, it's the same challenge every organization faces that you need people to turn up to if it's virtual or if it's in um, in person, they still need to attend training. They still need to be present and go through some kind of learning experience, learning program of something. That challenge remains everywhere. I, I haven't seen anyone get that right. Um, you know, there's challenges around LMS usage. No one likes using an LMS, and unfortunately, it's it's one of those necessary evils in organizations that helps to do certain parts of the administration and the uh, logistics planning for, for L&D, but it's also become a default place for other stuff and it's not the right, it's not the right tool for doing other activities. So that challenge I've seen everywhere and it just doesn't change. You know, there's similar challenges that every organization faces around new managers when they join a new company um, or if they're promoted into roles, they want to know how to be a good manager. That's the same thing that is present everywhere. 
and the same and you know no no organization is unique in that way everyone has the same sets of well you know how do i have one-to-ones what am i supposed to discuss in that situation how do i develop my coaching skills how do i give good feedback how do i have difficult conversations with people that's the same stuff doesn't matter where you go you need to do that as a manager and then as you go up the kind of seniority levels the same challenges rise uh, are, set, are there as well for leaders across organizations you know when you're a leader when you're a senior person in the organization you have to understand more around the strategic elements of how to lead a department or a team and how to um, you know uh, invest in them and motivate them and engage them so that they can achieve some really really good stuff that again that's a that, you know, that's not a unique set of stuff it's quite a similar set of um, challenges the thing that is always different is the context in which those things are relevant you know and that's the piece which I've always found fascinating is what's the context of what leadership looks like in this organization or management looks like in this organization or learning looks like in this organization because the uh, the um, although the challenges are similar it doesn't mean that the um, approaches that worked previously wherever I've been will work here because the context is completely different okay Great, great explanation of it. So, so if I was to say, kind of looking at your whole, maybe yeah, your and you can take these questions can be personal or professional. Take it however you however you like, really. Um, yeah. What's what's been your 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 positive negative? What's been the most important um, positive negative? And when I say that, I mean you know in the moment it looked like a very negative situation, and it mm. was like, oh, where do I go from here? But then maybe a day, a week, a month, a year down the line, it's actually been one of your one of your most positive moments in your life. Help shape something new. What's is any what jump out? Um, I'll have to think on that one. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. We can we can come back to that. Not a problem. So let's go with a different note and let's change gears a touch. So okay, if I was to say to you right. What if you had to give a gift of a book to three people? What book would it be? Oh Christ! Um, <laughs> if I had to give the gift of a book, yeah. Um. Uh, and again, this doesn't need to be a professional, or you know, it can be. A yeah, personal. no, I'm not. I'm not thinking necessarily professional either. I'm just trying to think what are the books that I've read where I thought that was really impressive and that's really it's got lots of good stuff in there that, that people can learn from um, so I guess one book is um, either free economics or super free economics uh, written by Stephen Dubner and Stephen Levitt and when I read I've read both of the books when they uh, when the, when they've been released, and what they help me to understand is that there's ways to think about the world, which um, which which may not come naturally for most people. And what I mean by that is that they uh, the way that they present data and in information and insights and research into how people behave what they think they you know what people say they're going to do versus what they actually do and 
it's a really insightful book about human behavior from an uh, from a set of from a group of um, researchers who are looking at things from a behavioral economics point of view so for me that's really fascinating because it provides a different lens you know in the L&D world we can get really caught up in models and theories and personality um, assessments and psychometrics and all sorts of other weird and great tools they they are all really useful in certain ways what is also helpful is to understand what other what are the other contexts that if we understood those well it enables us to understand human behavior in a different way so i think um either of those books would be a good one because they both touch on very similar um, approaches and uh, a narrative style of writing um, but they just talk about very different instances across the two so it's quite quite interesting stuff okay uh, do, do they have a podcast yeah they do yeah, yeah the economics podcast yeah i don't listen to it but i've um there's another uh, person that I'm, I'm not sure if you know ross garner he's a big fan of the economics podcast yeah. and he talks about it regularly when they talk about <laughs> on the good practice podcast yeah, it's, um, uh, I think I've dipped in and out of that podcast, but never really been like a true subscriber. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's not one that I, in truth, I don't know what the podcast is like and how it's different to. I mean, it, I imagine it's it covers similar things to what the book right what the books talk about. Um, it, it's just I, I I enjoy the the narrative style of the books; they're quite easy to read. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so that's one book. Um, another book. Uh. Uh. It's, it, you know you, you could give this book to three people and then that's it that's your your question ticks off i guess it's, i guess the idea of this question is kind of to, to think you know it, it's mainly just to understand what book impacts you and kind of what you've got the most value from so yeah okay so i guess that i guess that's one there are good business books around um there are there are some good learning and development books around as well you know so um i and the reason i haven't gone to one of those or recommended any of those particularly is that there's it depends on what the person wants to do with their lnd knowledge and development of their skills because that'll focus your mind in a different way and it means that you'll want to read the right kind of thing that will help develop that further for you yeah um so that's why i haven't gone to one of uh, kind of an L&D book. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to say some words and I want I want you to tell me what comes to mind when I say these, okay? Yeah. Okay. So let's go first with, um, yeah, positive language. Uh, helpful, progressive, um, useful, um, Yeah, I think those. Yeah. Okay. Th those. Yeah. Um. Next one, mental health. Okay. Uh. Important. Um. Still a taboo subject for many. Still hard for many to uh, acknowledge and discuss. Well. Uh. Lots of stigma still attached to the topic. Um. Some really good, really really good information and advice available out there about how to help people who do suffer with mental health challenges okay okay um diversity and inclusion 
uh, again, important, and uh, I think we're on an ever-continuing journey with what that, with what those topics are, um, in our understanding of what we think those terms mean, what we think they, how we think we act in relation to those um, terms, what it can allow for, and what they can aspire to, or what people can aspire to when they uh, when they try and understand those things better, uh, can also be quite controversial as well. People have very strong opinions about what they think those terms mean and how people should act against those terms as well. Okay, um, and we'll go with one more. Let's have social media. Um, incredibly powerful set of communication tools and methods to be able to engage with <clears throat> people just from all over the world you know absolutely unprecedented in the level of access to people to knowledge to insights in a way we've never experienced in the history of mankind at okay the speed at which the speed at which you can connect with current affairs what people are saying at important events it's all uh, it's all quite impressive and and we've got a lot of work to do still in that space to help keep it safe so that people aren't receiving you know trolling behavior that they're not that they're not subject to harassment that they're not being treated unfairly because of their use of social media so we've got a lot of there's a lot to still get through and make better um yeah so that's where i'm at with it Okay, and let's, let's have one more, actually. Um, the free good podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's my podcast that I started a couple of months back, and it's a space for me to be able to share and discuss topics around positive psychology, resilience, well-being, mental health, and emotional intelligence. Perfect. So let's jump into that then. So for anyone okay. who hasn't listened to the podcast, I highly recommend it. It's it's a great podcast and yeah, it touches upon a lot of, I think one of the ones which jumped out to me from um, recently was the, the communities one, um, which, yeah. which I know we spoke about. Well, yeah. Where did the name come from first? What Where, where did that come from? Uh, so first of all, thank you for listening. That's <laughs> very good to know and uh, always kind to hear about as well. Where did the name come from? So uh, there's a particular approach um, within the practice and research from positive psychology, which, so as a practice, what it tries to encourage is how to help people um, cultivate a, a set of behaviors which, which develop more positive feeling over a longer period of time, as opposed to looking for short, sharp snaps of kind of happiness in certain ways. And the reason for that is because happiness is a transient, it's what we would call as a kind of a transient emotion in that you can feel it one moment and the next moment it can be gone. And that doesn't mean that you, you and so what that means is that it's really hard to keep happiness at a moment, at a level, because you never know what's gonna affect how happy you feel or not. What you can affect and what you can impact on is how good you feel over a longer period of time. So if I'm feeling particularly good, it's probably because there's a set of good things that have happened 
So how can I do more activities that help me feel good for longer? And there, there's a practice called three good things, which is at the end of each day that you look back on and write down what were the three good things that happened to me that day. And when people do this over a sustained period of time, it helps to cultivate a different set of behaviors and mindset around what do people want to reflect on and also how do they appreciate what happened to them during their day. Um, and I've seen, you know, if you just search for the hashtag on Twitter, the number three and then good things, there's some really great things that people choose to share around that hashtag. And it's, it really shows that, you know, completely de depending on what you're facing, you can always reflect on, actually, there were some things today that happened really, really well. So um, I spoke several, uh, probably about a year or two ago with um, somebody in the network that we know called David D'Souza. And we were just talking about stuff. And I said, uh, I said to him at the time, I, I need, I, I want to take the concept, I want to take the concept of positive psychology and do more with it. And he said, well, and I, at the time I was thinking around developing an app or something. And he said, we'll call it three good. Well, I said, Can I, I said, what do you reckon if I call it three good things? And he said, just shorten it, just call it three good. And then that just stuck with me ever since. And then when I decided I was going to make a, create a podcast, that was the name that immediately came to mind was that's what it can be called. And then uh, lead on from there. Okay. okay. Yeah. Shout out to David. Um, when, you know, he, he messaged me a couple of weeks ago with some good words of advice and stuff. So yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Um, really is. So I guess, you know, when we look at your podcast, I think, are you around about nine or 10 episodes in now? If I remember right there, I think. Yeah, that's right. I'm nine episodes in. I mean, and when, when we look at kind of some of the stuff which you cover, you cover like positive thinking, um, mm. you talk about four being, uh, I think one of them was about four bad things happen. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the importance of, of what I mentioned earlier about the community, um, yeah. kindness and positive psychology and I guess it's going to be a mm. bit of a hard question for this but which one sometimes I think you get something which jumps out to you more than mm -hmm. the others and which one just feels like a bit more flowy which one of the episodes so far have kind of yeah has, has, has been an absolute pleasure and not a struggle and I guess and just I just flown out yeah no it's a good question so I've had two guests on the podcast so far and um, and, so, and the other ones have been just me sharing my thoughts and insights and research um, and that's available out there that we currently know about. And so I, I think they all just mean that you approach things in a slightly different way. So when it's just me and I'm talking is, you know, I, I make a set of notes around, right, these are the things I think I want to discuss. And then I just talk around those. And then if I think I'm happy with it, then I'll, I'll, I'll release it. The ones where I've had guests on, though, I tend to keep those quite unstructured in that we just talk about whatever we think we want to talk about and then it allows the conversation to go where it needs to. So I had a um, guest on Mark Gilroy, we talked about optimism as a topic and it was a really good chat. I think we spoke for like, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes or something or uh, might have been just been in and around that time. And it was such an easy chat that I didn't even notice at the time had gone through to so long. And last week I spoke with a friend, Sarah Boyd, and we we spoke about what does positive psychology look like in, in practice in organizations. And that was really fascinating because 
we're both quite into the topic and she had lots of insights from how she puts it into practice. Um, she'd been to a conference the day before on the topic. So there was lots to get through and talk about. And again, it was just an easy conversation. And for me, that's where, um, you know, it's it, it, the ease of conversation just makes the, um, that then just makes the flow really nice and easy and quite hopefully quite easy to listen to as well. Yeah, no, definitely. So with regard to kind of, and I'll put your um, your podcast in the show notes as well so people can jump on and subscribe. Thank Highly you. recommend it. What's, you know, let's just have a look at kind of some of the things which you mentioned there and well-being and kind of positive yeah. psychology and stuff. How, where do you see this being done really well at the moment? Um, around well-being? Um, that's a good question. So there's, I, I certainly see that there's a there's be, there's becoming more of a strong focus on it in organisations to want to support their people to to act to actively think about are they taking care of themselves so that so that they're not um, experiencing um, or rather when they're at work they're able to do more than just do the work you know and. I think that's because there's a realization that the, the workplace can be a really enabling place to help people live well. And so part of that means that you have to have a good approach to what well-being looks like. Some organizations do it really well where they use, um, um, you know, uh, I've known some organizations where they will pay for your gym membership for everyone in the company. You know, and so you just have open access to a gym facility. Um, others, like where I'm at here at Read Business, there's, they have a good approach where every lunchtime there's some kind of different activity you can go and join. And that's really quite encouraging because it's on site, it's during the lunch break, and, you know, there's it, it's open and it's accessible to people. Um I see, and then in the in the kind of personal, or rather the um, in the social media space, you there, there's lots of good organisations out there who are sharing really good things about how to improve well-being. So um, a lot of the mental health organisations, the um, cancer charity organisations, they share some really good information on if you want to look after yourself. These are good things to do to look after yourself. You know, they, it, it kind of gets captured in the self-care. Um, narrative and so there's some really good things that people can do and go and look at to help them understand yeah look if I'm not feeling great it might be because I'm missing some things in my life which which um, should be important but I just haven't given um, the right kind of focus on and, uh, and and going away and reading about those things and learning about those things can start to unlock how you think about that so and, and uh, it's also a fairly recent concept that's that's really started to take hold across more groups uh, where I think you know maybe about 15 years ago it wasn't well heard of you didn't really hear about well-being at work it wasn't really something that was considered and so there's I think we've come on leaps and bounds in terms of what we think it can enable and how it can be good for people okay and I think yeah I think um we was I was lucky at, at Talk Talk. They they fully embraced kind of well being at work. Right. And they was I mean, they was probably one of the companies which jumped out to me actually. And 
just it was different. They, they embraced it. They you know they had this this whole sh- social intranet where people can share like mental health issues and stuff like that. And oh, was, that's great. Yeah, it was just about being more. It's just about being transparent. Um, yeah. You know, I think um, someone did a couple of posts about um, him struggling with bipolar. I did a couple of posts about kind of right dyslexia and dyspraxia and stuff, and kind of how. Yeah. Sometimes a mod- the modern working environment just doesn't help as much as you like to try and help. It, it, it yeah, doesn't. yeah, they're right. Not, they're not they're not putting things in place to do so. Um, but they was they was awesome because they was just open, honest, and transparent about it. Um, and which made it easier in general just to kind of be open. You know, sometimes like I say, you, it's certain things have stigma to them, and people yes. are still a bit. You know, they're not they don't want to open up. Where I think having the environment be as transparent as it is makes everything just so much easier to do that it does yeah yeah no you're absolutely right so let's jump on to kind of um diversity and inclusion let's jump onto that one so yeah I think, okay um you know i was talking i talked to i see i talked to a, a whole different people especially within the group outside of the group and one thing yeah. which keeps coming up a, a lot and a lot of time is you know diversity and inclusion and we talk about kind of you know women women within our industry and stuff like that. I guess, yeah, yeah share share with me a bit of your take on that. So I can kind of, you know, where where do you see the kind of the choke points within it and where do you see it being fully embraced and acknowledged and tackled? It's a, it's a good question. And I so what I see is that L&D is no different to any other or any other profession that struggles with getting things right for um, how they how they focus on DNI and how we do how we have good practices around it. And where it's where I see it at its most potent is in the conference scene, and this is true of pretty much most conferences that I've been uh, I've been. Um, attending and or present at in some way is that typically you you don't tend to see speakers from a uh, from a black and minority ethic background and they may also struggle with having a balance of men and women speakers where it's normally in favor of men and so it's and I've written about this for years on my blog. Um, I, I don't remember when I first started writing about it, but it certainly is one of those things where I've in, in I've been fortunate enough to attend a lot of different events in in all short in all sorts of ways. And the the key thing that always I'm attuned to when I'm there is is there does it look like there's fair representation? Does it look like that there's uh, people like me who are there? And if there are, then in what um, in what capacity are they there? You know, are they there as an attendee? Are they there as a speaker? Are they there as a chair of a session? Um, are they the organizer? You know, so there's different roles, and I, and I'm not necessarily looking at just you know who do I spot in the crowd, but in what way do do I notice representation? And if there is a lack of representation, then what does that say to me about the event? What's happening in the event? How they how they're trying to encourage more people from the um, uh, who who are representative of different parts of the society and communities that we all live and work in, 
And so there's there's a lot there that I think that we and like I say, we're no we're no different to any other profession in trying to focus on this. And it can be hard because the the L and D world is fairly niche as well. You know, it's it's a subsection of HR, arguably. And so within that, you've already got a you know, you're already starting to whittle down right who are the group that are likely to be working in that area. And then once you've then look at just the L and D profession and its broadest sense, you know, covering all sorts of roles from instructional designers to experienced designers to um, uh, to facilitators to leaders, right? Uh, you you look across all of that, and you start to realize it's that's already a a finite group of people, and so within that, it then just grows to be harder to look at. Okay, so are is there a are there fair is there a fair set of representative representative roles at different levels? You know, recent. Um, a recent piece by Donald Taylor helped to show that at the senior levels of L&D across most organizations, there tend to be more men in those roles than there are women. Um, at the lower, I say lower levels, it's not the right word, at the kind of uh, less senior roles, um, you tend to have more women in the roles. And so th there seems to be a real disparity there around how how. Uh, how representative we think we are in the organization, you know, in our roles and what we do. And then you start, and then from my perspective, I start to look at some of that data and I look at, okay, so I get that and I totally see it. But even amongst the group who are, who tend to be more men, they tend to all be white, middle-aged. And I don't tend to see, or older even, I don't tend to see um, many from kind of the BME background as men in that group and or women who are in that group being in those roles as well. So there's just, there's just further layers that you start to uncover and you go, okay, it's, it's there, it's prevalent. It's not necessarily um, because people are doing it in a discrimin discriminatory way. It's as we starting to realize with many things around the DNI subject areas is that it's about the systemic way that things are that things happen in organizations in industries in professions in society and so there's a number of things that need to be corrected for and unlocked in different ways that allows representative groups to to make better inroads into the range of different opportunities that are available to them okay and again this is one of the topics which I know which is near and dear to you and, and I did do a bit of social stalking on you so I can have a look at your blog post and see, you know, so, yeah. That's right, it's all there. Yeah, it's, um, when I say social stalking, it's in the best possible way, not in the, in the weird way. Um, but no, I think, you know, it's, it's, I think this topic alone, you could you could easily do a three-hour podcast on because I think it's like yeah. an onion. The more we get into it, you peel away the top layer and then there's another right. layer like you mentioned. Um, but let, let's change gears and such. And so if, if I was to say to you, right, you, you can have a, um, billboard, you can have a billboard and you can put it right outside a football stadium or a, a concert right. and on this stadium, thousands and thousands of people are going to see this billboard. What message would you put on that billboard for thousands of people to see? Wow. Um, 
I don't know. Okay. Uh, I genuinely don't know. There's. Yeah, I, I I don't know, Danny. It's a good question, and it's it's one I'm probably going to need to think about some more. And one of the reasons I, I struggle with that as well is that there's so many messages that you could share, that trying to whittle it down to one is quite tough. Yeah. You know, it's do you you know across a range of things that you could ask for people to pay attention to when they're looking at a billboard like that. You know, it's. Yeah, so I'd want to stay away from any kind of advertising or branding or anything like that and just more something around a message that helps people to connect with others in a different way, you know, and that could be around um, asking people to, um, you know, like so the mind campaigns or the time to talk campaigns, they're really effective because it's saying, you know, they just have a simple message around and you know, ask your friend if they're okay. You know, like, that's a really good message. That that's a really good simple message, and it helps reinforce that it's okay to talk about mental health. You know, if it's around something like um, inclusive practices, you know, it could be a message around um, don't just ask people to uh, to take part, um, get their opinions, and get them to design it with you. You know, like okay, that's a good message as well. So I think there's lots of good we- lots of good messages that you could share. It's and it's really hard to think about which one would I want it to be. Yeah, we completely agree. I got asked this question yesterday when I was doing my podcast on reverse. Oh yeah, and I have one which I always t- I tend to always use, but because I mentioned it on a podcast, it was like okay, well let, let's let's look at a different one. And um, okay, and I ended up going with one which just come to mind, and which I- is. And it was it was it was just come to mind in time at the moment. It was just something which I seen which kind of come to mind um, right. with stuff which was going on. And it was you cannot whisper to the wind and not expect the wind to whisper to the trees. Nice, yeah. And I thought people can take that into whatever content they want. You know, it, I think I seen it in a book recently, um, and that's kind mm. of where it stuck from. But the one which would always be my go-to would be um, for every minute you are angry you lose 60 mm. seconds of happiness. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. I like that, yeah. And I just think it's just kind of, it's nice. It, it comes from a kind of a little bit of um, a kind of, not social experiment, but from much back in the day, my classroom training days. Um, yeah, right. I used to change the quotes on the front of the door, which should tell you what time you need to be here at. And I want okay, to see how yeah, many yeah. people actually noticed the change. Um, nice. So yeah, it was just, it's just something which always stuck out. I just think, you know, yeah, Happen- happiness like is happiness is just people. Can, it's easy to lose happiness. I think in a world of constant noise and constant, um, you know, yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I just think I was talking to Babs recently, and <clears throat> Babs was, um, mentioned how she she's um, going through a bit kind of a time of uh, b- blocking some time out to just be be with herself in a moment. Mm-hmm. I thought it's such a powerful thing to just just stay away from everything. I mean, I've dabbled yeah. with meditation a little bit, and I kind of keep going back and forth from it with it. But yeah, yeah. I think I think you know, we're in a world now where we're always, always, always switched on, and I think we need to, we probably need to start addressing the fact of actually having a digital detox and just switching off from everything and just being comfortable with with silence and being on your own. Mm. See, I, I, I. I... I hear people talk about digital detoxes and I, and I think, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that's the answer to the, to the challenge of being switched on. 
Okay. Yeah. And so where I come from on this is if I'm at, when, when I'm at home and I'm with my kids or if I'm or if I'm out with my partner and there's natural moments during that period of time that I'll be with them where I just won't think about my phone. And and it's because in the moment I'm happy to spend that time doing something else. I'm not, my mind isn't focused on, oh, I wonder if I could share this moment through social media. This could be like uh, more of a product that of my age than it is about um, uh, anything else. But I, I think there's a truth in there, which is around, if you're engaged in something, or rather, yeah, so I, I think that if you're engaged in something and you don't think about wanting to share that in a digital way, that's okay. And if at some point you go back to it and you think, actually, no, I need, I, I want to use it, that's okay too. It's, and I think because where we're naturally moving to is that we will be connected and we are connected in um, in very accessible ways. I don't see that as a problem. It's more that how do people understand that they can create a balance which works for them? And and then when you when you start to think about that, it means that you don't have to necessarily go down the de detox route because you're, you've already got a good balance of at this time in this way, I'm going to do these types of things. And I also recognize that I don't have to do those things all the time, you know? And I, so, so that's where I've kind of taken my thinking around interaction with devices, how we're always on with stuff, what we choose to do with them, what that means for my, um, my attention, my capacity, my resilience, my being present. Yeah, I, so I think we, so I, I think that if we, or rather there, there are natural moments in life that you're with others where you would go, yeah, you know what, right now I'm very comfortable just being here with you and I don't need to share that in some, uh, in some way with social media. Yeah, I think, you know, for us to have a, it's easy to go from kind of, you know, saying a digital detox is social media. Um, but for me, I think it's it's a few different things. And it's a real interesting point, which you bring up, I guess. So so mm. I think for me, I go back to, I went through a bit of a bad time, probably, well, probably about four years ago, maybe. Let's just call it four years ago, for argument's sake. Okay. And for, for the life of me, I just couldn't find, you know, the the spark to get the happiness track back on it. Something happened right. within my family and it was, it, I talked about him. I talked about him in my podcast later on down the line anyway, but I guess for every, for every way I turned, you know, I think yeah. it's like a, I don't want to use depression because I don't think it was depression. I was just in a bad place, I guess. Um, okay. And I thought for every time I turned on to my, 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 my let's call it digital, but just use that. Yeah, yeah. Be it social media, be it one thing or another. I just constantly seen stuff which put me in an even worse spiral. So you, know, mm. I think you find when you know when you when your head's in that weird space, you tend to always look for other things which kind of either agree to what where your head's at right now. Yes, or, that's right. Yeah. Or, or stuff yeah. what puts you in a situation where you think my life is nowhere near as good as that. And I guess yeah. I kind of go back to that situation. I think right, if I didn't have social media, blah blah blah, how would that have that been? And realistically, I addressed the problem because I just switched all my social media off. At that time, okay. I just went, right, okay, going to be away from my phone, going to turn yeah. all my social media channels off, um, and I'm just going to be, go 
go backwards if you like in evolution in the set of how we communicate and stuff um, okay and i just went i just went back i just spent more time with my family yeah um and i got happiness from the little things so yeah i, I started drawing again I, I kind of i was always a, a good drawer so i started drawing again and doodling and yeah i guess but for me yeah the, the time i wouldn't have got that if i didn't turn my social media off because i wouldn't have at the time, it was it would have been too easy for me to dwell and kind of yeah, fill that yeah. time. No, I with, totally get you. Yeah, but I guess and, no. It's a good shout if you're happy within the moment. You know, you, you don't need to share it. It's it's a choice, I guess. Yeah, and you know, there's and so what you also helpfully share there as well. And you know, it's really good to hear. Uh, really interesting to hear about that from you as well about what how you how you needed to not be in that space. And that's a choice, right? And that's a choice to say, right, at that time, in that way, it just didn't work for you. Then that's okay. And now, several years later, you're in a space where you're using the set of tools in a very different way. I mean, I'm guessing, and you can correct me on that. Uh, yeah, that's a good show. And 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 that's going to be because you've you've um, you've had your own insights and your own reflections on it. I know when it works for me, and I know when it doesn't work for me. And that's probably more of the set of questions that, that people need to ask of themselves, which is, when does it work for me? And in those moments, how do I enjoy what it's allowing for? And when it's not working for me, then how do I remove myself so that I can carry on and do other stuff in my life? You know, and I, I see it, for example, when, um, when you see people get drawn into um, really long, hard, um, difficult language on um, kind of Twitter arguments and what have you. Yeah. And it's and it's because people what they what they're choosing to do is they're choosing to respond first of all. They're choosing to also get into a really lengthy drawn out argument, and and that's completely the choice of the person to do it. If it's and, and so there may be some good reasons for it, right? So there may be a good reason to have to do it because the person may be being purposefully offensive or purposely um, lying or difficult about the message they're trying to put across. So you, you want to try and correct for that. So there may be a good reason to want to, to try and be engaged with it at that moment. At the same time, if you're doing that on a regular basis and it's happening a lot, then there's also a realization that needs to come around. Okay, at some point I need to stop doing that for myself because it's taking me into a certain frame of mind and a certain way of living which isn't good for me. And I can't stop other people from reacting in the way that they're reacting, but I can choose, I can, I can definitely improve how I manage myself in those situations. Yeah. It's a good shot. I think you see this a lot on the reading, you know, some people writing up articles on blog and statuses and a lot of the, the writing yeah. tends to be very um, exclusive and not inclusive. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it's does. something I kind of, I've seen quite a bit. Um, and sometimes I just think I can't I can't get involved in your conversation because you you're at a level which bring it down to kind of I don't know it just feels sometimes yeah. that's done in a purposely way maybe I'm not sure yeah yeah and uh, you know I think it's also indicative then of uh, you know and you're right to not want to have to get involved in those conversations because in some way you know that it's going to take you down a certain level of discussion and or response. Which is not going to be good for you, and if you do, if you recognise that, then you don't, and you don't have to be involved, or you don't have to do that. 
that's a good choice. Yeah. You know? And then if you but then equally if you choose to go down and pursue whatever that is, that's also a very valid choice. It just means that you're going to end up in a certain state of mind. Yeah. And it you know it it will reinforce a certain set of beliefs which you either want to or you don't want to reinforce as well. Okay. Good chat. So, Complicated stuff. No, hey. no, and definitely again, this is another thing which could be a whole podcast on its own. So mm. what mm. if I was to say to you, right, so you can relive two hours of your life. Um let's call it yeah, it can be professional or, or personal. But you you'd a bit like Groundhog Day, you'd have to constantly relive these two hours of your life. What what okay. two hours would it be? What two hours of my life would I want to relive? Um, the moment that um, my children were born. Okay. Just the most amazing thing to experience, be part of. I've never experienced anything like that. It's you, you get so full of. I did. I got so full of uh, joyous emotion that. I happily wept when my children were born. I was so full of love for my wife, um, for what she had gone through to be able to um, carry them, give birth to them, and I was there for for all of the for the for the, for the moments across both um, my, when my twins when my twins were born and when my daughter was born, twin boys and my daughter. It was just amazing. Yeah, so I think if there's any moment I would want to relive it, it'd be that it'd be those two moments. Oh, wow, pretty powerful stuff, right? So, mm. so I guess you know we just need to be a bit savvy of your time because I know we, we're kind of running over. So I'll just jump into yeah, right, two okay. more questions. Um, so, people who who are people who who are in what we do right now? Uh, maybe it's new up and comers. Maybe it's people who who people don't know about and have been there for a while. Who's the three people who you think people should know about? Oh, you can't restrict me to three, Danny. That's just cruel. <laughs> I just like making life hard work. <laughs> um, who are the three people that people should know about? If you like, I can make it to five, just because we're friends. <laughs> um, who are they? Who are good people? Uh, so there's a um, somebody called Julie Drybra, um, who some people may know. Her Twitter handle is at Fuchsia Blue. <clears throat> I've known her now for a number of years, and she is an amazingly good thinker in our space around facilitation, OD, L&D. She really takes the time to understand what's happening in the modern world and how how we can take those insights and learnings and apply them in work settings in different ways. So I really value uh, Julie. Has, I value her as a person, and I value the thinking that she uh, that she has. Okay. Um, Phil Wilcox is um, somebody else. He's a good friend, and we, um, I really appreciate his thinking also around L&D and leadership and emotional emotions, emotional intelligence, what we understand about that whole topic. 
he's constantly I would argue that he is probably one of the most knowledgeable people out there on the whole topic of emotional intelligence and he just does not sit on his laurels about what he knows because the more he ends up knowing and finding out the more he realizes that there is yet to understand and I really appreciate that about him that he hasn't just turned around he could quite readily turn around and say I am an expert in this topic and you should listen to me because I know what I'm talking about and I would but he doesn't come at it with that approach. He's, he's very willing and very open to his own limitations of what he could know and also very um, very confident in what he does know as well. So he's, he's somebody else. Um, Andy Lancaster, head of L&D uh, for the CIPD, is a really, really good guy, really good L&D thinker has done a lot of good things for the profession since he's been in that role for the CIPD. Really helped to develop what we, how we, how the CIPD approaches L&D and um, what it thinks about it, how it tries to engage with its members around L&D. He's done a lot of good work there and I have a lot of appreciation for him. Um, I think that the profession would be in a very different place today were, not, were he not in that role? Okay. Um, who else? Uh, Fiona McBride um, is um, somebody else I would make a shout out to. She is a really good L&D practitioner. She really gets how to design good learning interventions, be they, um, uh, be it programmatic, be it a one day thing, be it um, thinking around how to use social media for, for learning purposes, um, how to use um, collaborative tools for uh, developing communities of practice, that kind of thinking. She's got a really good L&D practitioner level head on her. So she'd be the other person. I'm gonna stop it for. Okay, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> so I guess let's 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 kind of bring it full loop and back around to the beginning. So, you know, right at the at the at the start, I asked you to pick up um, some numbers, which we'll we'll yes. go and touch on in just a second. But before we get to that, I asked you at the start, what is it you wanted to be when you grew up when you was in school? And you said uh, maybe a lawyer, um, an architect, a pilot, or an astronaut. Yeah. And the thing is, so because we ne we never ever stop growing, we never stop yeah. developing, and you know. And at no point do we hit an age and go, right, that's it, we're done. So yeah. if I was to ask you the question of what do you want to be when you grow up, what would yeah. you say now? I still want to be an astronaut. Okay. Uh, that, that hasn't stopped. Um, I'm still ever wondrous about space and what we learn about what's happening in the universe and how that impacts on what we do as a as a human race. That is just an, a never-ending bit of fascination for me. So... That is something which constantly just amazes me. And if I were, if I could have, if I could do that, that would be brilliant. Um, yeah, I think that's it there for now. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Okay, well, we'd ask you to pick four um, numbers. Yeah. And these four numbers are tallied to a random list of items. And the idea is pretty simple. Um, 
you're on a desert island and you have these four items and all you've got to do is just tell me what you do with them. So your items were attaliate to a piece of chalk, okay. uh, a checkbook, a ice cube and a screw. <laughs> okay. Piece of chalk. Yep. An ice cube. Yep. And um, a screw. And what was the fourth one? A checkbook. A checkbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, a piece of chalk. Okay. And I'm on a desert island. And um. I mean, if I'm on a desert island, the ice cube would probably melt pretty quick. So I don't think I could do anything useful with that. So that is just, in my mind, that's just become a redundant item pretty automatically. Okay. Um, a screw, I think you could probably use to help things be joined together. So if you needed to create some kind of shelter um, overhead, so something like a canopy or something, you might be able to use a screw to help make that happen. Okay. Uh, a checkbook. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So you could use the leaves to take care of personal business when duty calls. Okay. <laughs> And um, a piece of chalk. Um, I'm completely stumped on that one. I really don't know. Okay, perfect. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know what will happen, don't you? It'll come to mind in about three hours and you'll have to scribble it down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it's cool. Yeah. So I guess where can people find out a little bit more about, about you and kind of um your your day-to-day -day role in life and ideas yeah i'm 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 very active on social media um, especially twitter it's my go-to social media channel so you can find me on twitter at sukpabial you can find me on linkedin i'm quite active there as well just my full name sukvinder pabial i write a blog um which you can get through um, e either of those places and i host a podcast which you can also find through either of those um, channels as well perfect i will put them all in the show notes anyway so so that people can get there easier um but no it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much yeah it's been really good to chat danny thank you very much no worries catch you later so thank you